0: Today, we begin Proverbs chapter 21, and we will look at verses 1 and 2, which says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So today, uh, we began by looking at a great mystery in the Bible. It's a beautiful passage. Uh, two verses one after the other here that that clue us toward the compatibility between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Uh, It's a beautiful dance between the doctrine of election and what I would call the doctrine of accountability to God. And so these verses I think fall somewhere under one or the other doctrine. And the good relationship between these two truths are. They are bold and powerful enough to lead a person to this amazing peace, and yet they're contentious enough to drive one to despair if they refuse to trust God and to rest in the sovereignty of God. So let's give it a go. We're at least going to try to touch on this great mystery. So bear with me, and uh, I would encourage you not to take my word for anything I'm saying here, but to to ask God, to go to him and ask for insight into his word. So verse one says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever you will. Now, Solomon, no doubt, was thinking of himself, at least because he was the king, <laughs> the king of Israel. And you realized that God was working on him and changing his heart, apparently. But Is this a truth for all kings or just for Solomon? Does it include dictators, emperors, presidents, governors? Does it go even further to all leadership positions? Uh, Leaders in our workplace, in family units, or does it even go further? Does God turn the hearts of all men wherever he will? And if he does, would this not infringe upon mankind's own will? Now, bear in mind, I'm, like I said, I'm not claiming to have all the answers. So I look at this as being a wonderful, lifelong journey in knowing the character of, of our great God. First, let's touch on how God moves in the hearts of kings. I think that hopefully we'll be able to get a grasp on, on the wholeness of how these two doctrines fit together. First one seems pretty clear to me. It's hard to... To analyze it in another way, Uh, speaking of how God moves in the hearts of kings, he turns it wherever he will. It's a bit difficult to rationalize this straightforward statement of Solomon. And uh, he doesn't expound on it too much. I mean, that's the nature of many of the Proverbs. But I think many times when we come to a passage or a piece of God's word that's difficult or doesn't seem to fit, into this giant puzzle of the theology of God very easily, like like a regular puzzle piece. We can't quite fit. We set that piece aside, don't we? Until we may even try to force it where it doesn't go. But we eventually set it to the side until other similar pieces begin to fall in place. And then we say, ah, this is great. And, and then the piece just snaps in perfectly snug. And it's a great feeling, <laughs> So before we begin to get all tied up in knots and and grudgingly force this piece about the sovereignty of God where it shouldn't go, let's just look at some other pieces in God's word. Does this truth go along with the rest of the puzzle? And my mind goes to Pharaoh in Egypt and maybe yours as well. Remember, uh, his heart was hardened by God not to let Israel go. And this happened over and over Until at the end, God himself was glorified over all the so-called gods of Egypt. And he was glorified to Israel in their eyes. And even the word of this great God, one true God, is spread everywhere. So that the whole world might know that the Lord, who Israel worshipped, was the one true God over all. And as Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. So it's all about God. Let's keep that in mind as we continue looking at this. So as for Pharaoh, some say that he, he hardened his own heart many times first, and then God stepped in and hardened it as though Pharaoh's heart was now far too calloused to ever repent. I don't believe that's quite right. Actually, God had declared that he would harden Pharaoh's heart twice, even before Moses ever spoke to him. And finally, when the scriptures say Pharaoh hardened his heart, the text says how this was the fulfillment of God's word. <laughs> so it it seems to me very clear that God was the one hardening his heart, even though Pharaoh, it is said, hardened his heart. Uh, The first text that says this is Exodus 8.15. Speaking of Pharaoh, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh's hardening of his own heart was connected to something greater than his his own self, his own will. It was the fulfillment of God's word because the text says it happened as the Lord had said. And, And, you know, throughout the Old Testament, kings of Israel and Judah... Uh, God moved the hearts of, of not only good kings but evil ones in various ways, but the end was for all all for His glory, as the Romans passage says. It, it was always for the glory of God. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, I think about another king, King Nebuchadnezzar. He was ruler of Babylon, and in Jeremiah 25 we find that God sent for him to. Overtake Judah. Um, and in some contexts, God refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his servant in doing this, even though he was an evil king. So God moved in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And so please just bear with me and think about this for a, a minute with me, if you will. Hopefully, I can make what I'm trying to say more clear. So Nebuchadnezzar, like us all, was born out of fellowship with God. And this was God's doing, okay? It began with Adam and Eve. Remember how when they believed Satan over God, he removed them from his fellowship. He cast them out of the garden. In fact, they hid from him. And from then on, all of Adam and Eve's descendants were born this way. So that includes Nebuchadnezzar, okay? That's the way we all start out, and God made him that way because of sin. But then God made him king over Babylon and he continued to uh, seek out and proclaim his own glory, his own power. Consider if you will, that it was at this point that Nebuchadnezzar did not have true free will. I mean, he was like you and I, like every man who comes into the world, he was a slave to sin. And we're all tethered, as I said, to the fall of Adam. And we have a heart that is bent to sin. It's our, it's our nature. I mean, that's not free will, you might say. So God moved in his heart to bring uh, discipline on Judah, as we said. And he took many into captivity in Babylon. This was all for the glory of God. Israel had forsaken God in many ways. And remember that this captivity, it included people like Daniel Um, that the great prophet and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And remember, they lived through the fiery furnace because uh, there was someone there with him that looked like the son of God, (laughs) the son of man. Anyway, Nebuchadnezzar treasured his own life and his glory like we all do. He sought his own power, his own good. And, And then God moved in his heart to serve him in disciplining Judah. And finally, God moved in his heart again, like our Proverbs text indicates, and God showed him two things, his own depravity and God's amazing glory. And you know, something happens when God gives us eyes to see him as uh, more beautiful than anything in the world, right? When we see him as the good news that, of great joy that the angel spoke about to the shepherds, when we're given eyes to see him as the greatest treasure in the universe, worth leaving all for, like Jesus spoke of in Matthew 13, 44, something happens. Our will is no longer bound to sinful things and all its promises for satisfaction. When God worked in Nebuchadnezzar to discipline Judah, it was still within the bounds of his own treasuring of sin. Okay. And I believe that God gives us true free will when he gives us eyes to see Jesus for who he is. And, and what person, once they see a greater treasure, does not go for the greater treasure? I mean, if they treasure laziness in life, that's what they're going to seek after. They think that's the best treasure, and they seek it every day. Um, if it's money and riches, that's what they're going to be working for. If it's power and glory like Nebuchadnezzar... You get the idea, right? That's what they go for. And it's just that before we see Jesus for who he truly is, we only have the treasures of the world to choose from. (laughs) That's all we know about. And and they all end in, in despair and death. So we really do not deserve this grace from God to be given eyes to see Jesus as the one worth delighting in, do we? Our seeing Him, our wanting Him in the right way, our will for Him, even our believing, our trusting, our our taking joy in His words, all of our delight for Jesus, it's all a free gift of grace because we never had eyes to see Him for who He is. And it may be difficult to think about our will as as being something that uh, at its core can't be changed without God being the one who does it. But um, it's true, and here's a couple of really short, straightforward examples from God's Word. Romans nine sixteen says, "So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy." These are all ESV translation. It doesn't depend on our will or our work, but on God who has mercy. Then Philippians two thirteen, "For it is God who works in you." both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See how these, uh, they're compatible. They dance together. (laughs) And so as we're about to close, I wanted to share another verse that includes the sovereignty of God and how it's compatible with our own will and how (laughs) it's it's similar to the Proverbs text that we started with. Uh, How God chooses to give us grace. I mean, it's all his grace and yet he quickens our will, he makes it our own, so that we might have intentionality. So it's all his grace, and he quickens our will, and yet it is our will, and our intentionality, which has been made alive, it's been brought to life. And so, in all this, he gets all the glory. We're a new creation. And like Solomon, Paul unites these two doctrines of accountability. In God's sovereignty. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So this is a great mystery. It's a beautiful thing for us to to meditate on and ponder it's all God's grace. So uh, today's devotion is not meant to tie up all the loose ends for you. The character of God, his 100% grace in our life, how it's not of works, lest any man should boast, how there is none that understandeth, or there and there is none that seeketh after God, and how we're all gone out of the way. And to trust God that, that he is just and righteous and, and, and sovereign, He does not choose us based on our own righteousness. All these things, these superior ways of God that, uh, you know, for me, it's a wonderful thing to pursue. And yet, at the end of the day, when I lay my eyes down to sleep, I have this great peace in that I can um, leave it all in his hands, trusting everything to my heavenly father. Not knowing all things can now be like a great gift in itself. I mean, because it lets us rest and rely on the one whose character we've come to trust. And the one who has never let us down. Finally, I'll close out with just a a reading. The last words of King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. In chapter 4, after God turned his heart like our text indicates in Proverbs, and he gave him eyes to see the glory of God. I hope this will be your prayer as well. So Daniel, beginning in chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride is able to humble.